I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome back to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. Oh, we have an amazing episode for you today. I cannot wait for you to soak in the wisdom of this woman that I have been soaking in for the last seven months and Mike is about to begin his journey with. We have Ra Goddess, the author of the book that drops today, The Calling, which is a phenomenal book. But first, before we get into what we talked about with Ra, I want to let you know something new and exciting, which is that you can now find the show notes to every episode easily navigable at the number of the episode. So for example, today is episode 168 and all you need to do to go to the show notes is go to katenorthup.com forward slash 168. So if you are driving or walking or at the gym or doing something other than sitting, listening and focusing, which like who just listens to a podcast without doing something else? Does anybody do that? If you do, I'd love to hear from you. (laughs) I mean, does anybody like... I like, heard somebody talk about this uh, about a month ago where back in the day they used to listen to the radio. And just listen. And just sit there and listen. Isn't that remarkable? It was and like do we do they, that? they would just sit around like and listen to the radio like they listened to. Right. Or like sitting around the fire. Yeah. Or like listening to an album. Like do you just sit in a, I, like a chair in the living room and just listen? No. I mean, I don't. I haven't. So. Well. I don't know if all the back episodes will have the numbers. No, yet. no, 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 Not no. By this but time. just from today forward, yeah. katenorthup.com forward slash 168 or whatever episode you're we listening to. We will change them all, but it's not going to be ready um, by this time this comes out. And if you're not familiar with the show notes, we do a bang up job. Actually, Matt, our podcast editor, does a bang up job. And it has all the links, the full summary, anything you might want to know about the episode is there, including timestamps of key moments in the episode. Really good stuff. So that's what's at the show notes. And also, I wanted to let you know... I was just reviewing some show notes today and I was like, damn, these are helpful. That's what I I thought. So that is why I'm excited. I I know. Okay. Listen, I'm in promo mode. And then the other thing that's exciting that's coming up that at the time of this recording, we have over 6,000 people who are joining us. But if you're not one of them, you need to get in on it, which is a program that I am developing called Make Time for Business. And it is my system that I've been using with thousands of women in origin and women who've been reading my book to plan your year, quarters, months, weeks, and days to ensure that the things that make you money and get results actually happen so that you can do less. So if on your radar in 2020 is making more money and working less, then you need to get in on this. And the good news is it's totally free for two full weeks. You're going to get the core content of the program for two weeks for free. And that starts February 3rd. But leading up until February 3rd, I'm doing this whole warm up prep sequence in the Do Less Facebook group. And all you need to do to get in on all of it is go to maketimeforbusiness.com. So join us for that. I'm pretty psyched. Okay, you want to do two listener shout outs, honey? Sure. The first one comes from Catherine Winberg. Winberg? Mm-hmm. These are from Australia, folks, from Australia. Shout out to everyone in Australia. I know it's been a little hot there lately with the fires and everything that's taking place. So We're hopefully sending you a lot of love, a lot of love. One of my favorite podcasts, that is her title. Thank you. Loving your podcast and the variety of topics you cover. The perfect mix of business, health, spirit out. Jeez. Spirit. Spirulina. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> Can you say that word, please? Spirituality. Spirituality. Okay. God. Spirit. The, the tongue twitter. Uh, for Mike. And, probably not for anybody else. And relationships. Anyway, all that other filler was not in the review. That was. It me. makes me think of Dumber and Dumber <laughs> when he's like reading the paper and he's like, to to And then the other one's like, the. I know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. <laughs> It's such a good movie. Okay. Spirituality. Uh, Especially loving and relationships. Especially loving the most recent episodes on planning, reviewing, and habits. I'm sorry. I'm like looking at this crooked and talking to the microphone at the same time backwards. As a relative newbie in business, I appreciate how you are so open and honestly share your business journey. Greetings from the sunny Byron Bay. I would love to go there someday. I have heard Dude, nothing but amazing things. I want to go to Australia. Australia, New Zealand, like do that mm-hmm. trip for like three months oh, or definitely. something. Yes. That's what we were told to take three months or a year. I don't know. You know, whatever. But okay. So the second review. Okay. Catherine and Melissa, if you your names, you can just DM me on Instagram and we'll put something special for you in the mail. All the way to Australia. To Australia. Well, I just mailed a bunch of planners yeah. over all over the world. So here we go. Authentic and generous with humor. Melissa from Australia just loved the show, especially especially the recent episode. Specifically. I I changed it because I didn't know how to say it. This is what I do. because it's the I don't know do you what you want me to read this. My honey? pronunciation with it is not great. No, I do. I'm practicing. This great. is great. You're doing great. I'm pra- I'm I'm like in school. I'm reading. I'm the kid reading that doesn't want to read no, aloud, and now I'm reading okay, aloud. Great. To thousands of people, you know, thousands of people. Dude, our episodes, our downloads have been skyrocketed. People are really enjoying these. Yeah. So if you're new see. here, welcome aboard. Yeah. Like welcome I, to the Pod Squad. Yeah, the Pod Squad. Um, <laughs> Where Mike learns to read. It's the new new thing. Um, recent episode on Mike's healing and Kate's energetic up-leveling. I could relate to both and also love the planning review. My husband and I do a version but have committed to blocking more time next year. We also involve our four kids in the roundup. Keep up the awesome work. Love that. Amazing. All right. So now, oh, also one last thing. We have, okay, well, let's talk about Raw. Let's talk about how amazing Raw is. And then I, there's a, we have a giveaway. So this episode, so Raw has been my personal coach since June. She is an entrepreneurial soul coach behind hundreds of breakthrough change makers, cultural visionaries, and social entrepreneurs from New York Times bestsellers to multi-million dollar social enterprises. She is the kind of person where literally I will mention her name to like, all these heavy hitters and they're like, oh yeah, I know Ra. I love Ra. It turns out she's working behind the scenes with, it's crazy, the number of people. As CEO of Move the Crowd, Ra is galvanizing a movement of 3 million entrepreneurs dedicated to reimagining work as a vehicle for creative expression, financial freedom, and societal transformation. She's passionate about creating a whole self approach to entrepreneurship, and her unique methodology has empowered a new generation of conscious entrepreneurs to stay true, get paid, and do good. From the onset of her more than 30 year career as a cultural innovator, so social impact, see, tricky one, social impact strategist good job. and creative You're doing change so good. agent, Ra has drawn on the power of creativity, culture, and community to move hearts, minds, and policy. And I just have to say that she she works as an internationally acclaimed perform or she has worked as an internationally acclaimed performance artist and activist and her work is focused on issues of racial justice and equality, electoral politics, offender aid and restoration, mental health and youth and women's empowerment and has contributed to initiatives that have impacted millions of lives. So that's totally macro and she's amazing. She is a force and she's an angel. And on a micro level, I came to Raw in June after feeling really wrung out by my Do Less book launch. And I found myself crying on my living room floor with my mastermind so sisters basically saying, like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what my work is. I have no idea what's next. And maybe I want to quit all of it. 
And I went to a one-day retreat with Ra, and instead of quitting, I found my purpose. And honestly, I thought until that point that trying to find your purpose was a total waste of time, which is really embarrassing to say that out loud, but that is what I thought until I did the work and I was like, holy shit, this is everything. And since that time, everything has shifted for me in our business, in our work. Things have gotten way easier, way more powerful, and way more profitable. And it really, her methodology really works. And what's so cool about her book, which we'll talk about in the episode, we talked about like, Ra, why did you put so much in here? Like she held nothing back. All the worksheets are in there. All the steps are in there. Like it is the full enchilada. Her generosity knows no bounds because she is fully committed to liberating the world. What would you like to add about the episode, honey, before I talk about the giveaway? Well, the name of her book is The Calling. I said that at the beginning. Well, we haven't talked about in detail about the book. No. Oh, okay. So the name of the book is The Calling. (laughs) It's the three fundamental shifts to stay true, get paid, and do good. And it's a game-changing book offering a six-step approach on how to find and follow your true calling and redefine success from entrepreneur and the soul. Oh, I'm sorry. I was re- I'm continually reading the Amazon right above it, the soul coach raw goddess. So <laughs> read more, report the, incorrect <laughs> product information. <laughs> yeah. Click on these links and see what it says. Uh, it's, I don't like this woman is the real deal people. Like, I don't know what else to say besides what we said in the episode and you can dive in there she has been featured all over the place like she summit emerging women omega's women's leadership she's going to kerpalu this year the hay house world summit podcast lifestyle academy brendan burchard's talk she's worked with gabby bernstein damon john amanda steinberg like these are just some of the few people and then she talks more and more about who are working with folks inside of her book. But we really like, it's just good. Like it's really, really good. The way the book is laid out, there's no BS in it. In our episode, you'll hear more about this in detail. So we won't dive too much into it now. And then I'm excited because I'm going to start working with Ra as well. Actually this month, January, end of of January. We're getting on the family plan. Yeah, it's the family plan. (laughs) So (laughs) she she doesn't really have a family plan, but yeah, we're just all in. Yeah. So if you, I mean, the the reason is because like I have been like somewhat floundering as well. Like I want to find my calling, you know, in our business, in our, in my session with her, like I was talking a lot about this and I definitely am learning a lot just going through the book. But I really wanted to dial it in faster. We've talked a lot about this, too, is when you're working in mastermind groups or hiring a coach, et cetera, you can do these things a lot quicker. And like I told her, I was like, I feel like somewhat I'm like the business mutt. And I'll explain in a second. But like as a dog, right, or an animal, like a mutt, different breeds. And it's just like whatever needs to get done, Mike can take care of it. And which I think is very great to have someone like that inside of your company. And I feel very good to have a variety of skill sets, but it's also not, there's not the, I'm lacking the passion when it comes to that. Yeah. And, and we fe- talked about that last week yeah. on the 80-20 episode. Yep. Yes, we did. In episode 167. Yeah. And I think now, especially our life, where the trajectory of what we've done in our life, like meeting and then, you know, it's like building the business and then having kids. And we're at a place now where we're both are like setting the groundwork for what's next. So it's pretty cool. So if you would like to enter to win a copy, a hardcover copy of Ra's book, The Calling, all you need to do is listen to the episode, share a screenshot of it or a video of you listening or sharing your insights. Tag us at Kate Northrup and at Mike J. Watts and at Ra Goddess. And we will pick somebody who shares their insights and shares the episode in their Instagram stories. And we will pick somebody to receive the book in the mail as our gift to you. So enjoy the episode. I know you're going to love Ra as much as we do. She was by far the most popular speaker in my origin membership in 2019. So buckle up, get ready for the calling. 
Welcome, Ra. I am so happy you're here. Thank you. It's my joy, you all. Truly my joy to be here. <sighs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> I mean, you I, for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I know that I mentioned in the intro, but I just want to say again, like how much working with you this past six months has profoundly impacted my life, our business. It just, you know, I know those listening can't see me, but like, that piece around alignment and getting everything organized properly, <laughs> your stay true, get paid and do good. Like it really is so powerful how things become easier and more in flow when, when you do this work or when I have done this work. And so I just want to say thank you. Mm, my joy. So really, really my joy. Really my joy. Yeah. All right. Where to start? Where to start? Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Oh I got a place to start. How did you end up on a Tupac, like, uh-huh. the, the con- it was like a collaboration album and, yeah, compilation yes, album. Like, how, where did that come from? Tribute I mean, album, I yes. know you, the hip-hop background, et cetera. I was but. about to say, Mike, I, you, I have lived many lives, many, many, many lives. And in one of my lives, I was a hip-hop artist and activist. And, mm-hmm. and in my core, I still am. You know, I don't think you ever give that up. And for me, you know, hip-hop, uh, literally came of age as I was coming of age. So I was like 12 years old when like the Sugar Hill Gang came out. And I'm dating yeah. myself, y'all, but it is what it is. And I could not get enough of it. Like it, there was just a way in which I felt like the energy and the culture and the narrative was giving voice to everything that was going on inside of me. You know, because I kind of feel like when you're in your teens, that's the place where you really start to kind of feel the hypocrisy, right? I'm just going to go right in. (laughs) You kind of, it's like, it's no longer like, you know, do what I say, not what I do. And I think, you know, we start to kind of really bring our own analysis and our own awareness to the world. And there are psychologists that say that it actually starts at eight and nine, you know, for many of us, where we start to kind of go, okay, this is not lining up or something's not quite right with the world for some of us, our homes, our environments, our communities. And hip hop, I felt like was giving voice to that. And it was interesting because at the time there were very few women, right? And we still, mm-hmm. if we look at, from an industry yep. perspective, there's still very few women. I don't, I don't know that we've made the same kind of headway in terms of gender parity, right? In that industry. However, there were women. There was Shah Rock. There was Roxanne Chante. There was the real Roxanne. There was, you know, so there were all of these, Angie B, Heather B. There were all of these incredible pioneering women and they were strong and their voices were clear and their message was clear, you know? And I was like, this resonates for me. And so I began working inside of just like, beats and rhymes and trying to get my flow right. And, but at the same time, because, you know, of who my parents were, my parents born in the 1920s, right? Very active in the civil rights movement. My father knew King, my father knew Malcolm X, and they were very much frontline. And so my DNA and sort of my formative experience in terms of the state of our world really intersected at civil rights and hip hop. And so if I was going to have a microphone, I needed to have something to say. And I think that always stayed with me. Right. So, you know, I think in terms of my coming of age as an artist, I was maybe a little ahead of my time, maybe, you know, like a woman having something to say in that era (laughs) was not normally the thing. And so when the Tupac opportunity came along, and I mean, and I I was fortunate enough, I was able to build a career, I was able to travel the world and, you know, as an independent artist and do a lot of things. But when the Tupac opportunity came along and there were all of these, you know, sort of choices of what you could do in terms of Tupac's work, a rose that grew from concrete was, you know, was just for me, it was like, it was quintessential activism, change the world Tupac because there were lots of different Tupacs (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it was my joy to do it and you know I love and appreciate Tupac's family and and the state community and foundation and all the folks who you know who really held that work of Fenny and the community there so that was how it happened that's amazing Mm -hmm. I tried to download your album 
and I, you know, all I get is I can get samples of everything. I can't find it anywhere. So I didn't know if we were going to re-release, like have a re-release of the Raw Goddess album. With I was one. about to say, I'm going to have to dig in the crates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I would like a copy if you ever find it. So. If I ever find it, yes. Somebody yeah. told me it was on eBay for like $300. I was like, okay. Okay. Maybe we <laughs> oh, maybe I should go there. Yeah, you should go um, on eBay. So you mentioned, so regarding your hip hop past and this experience, I just happened, I would just finish watching or listening to the Slates. They just did the Slate podcast did a, the killing of Biggie and Tupac mm-hmm. and the whole background and everything that went on behind the scenes. Cause this, I was 14 when Tupac died. So it was a big, you know, in this time growing up in Indiana, we were listening to a lot of hip hop at that time. And so it was like, a, it was, it didn't impact, of course it didn't impact me the way that did like West side and all of the stuff with Suge Knight and the death row and all that stuff. So it got in. So I was, and then I like, then Kay told me one day you were in hip hop and I started reading. I'm like, she's on the Tupac. I'm like, how did, what's happening here? So. And he kept being like, have you asked Rob yeah. about it? Have you asked Rob about it? I was like, no, it hasn't come up. We've been working on my purpose. <laughs> just ask you. Right. Well, You've been dealing with the matter at hand. That's right. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. It's not but been my top thing. In your, I do have a question about this because you mentioned this in your TED talk, right? So I listened, yeah. I've been in raw goddess, like video land and audio land. Hard oh. So going back, like 11 years your first youtube videos i'm like is she still spitting the same stuff she's talking about now like where what's the history right. so would you talked about transitioning from hip because this leads into this conversation about the book yeah transitioning from hip-hop going into this business world and you were like i need to make this change how to go about doing that and then you said you started hanging out with business people but you were not taken seriously so like, how did you even start hanging out with these people? Like how, what was that transition like for yourself? Yeah, it's a great, great question. I mean, you know, I, when I kind of had that come to Jesus moment, right. And, and, you know, it's interesting in that it's not sort of fully in the book, but you get snippets of it in the book, right. Where I come back from this trip to Africa, you know, working in Rwanda as a cultural envoy and I can't pay my rent. And it's like, you know, this has got to stop. This has got to shift. And it was funny because in that come to Jesus moment, when I heard get a business education, I was like, what? You know, what, God? Get a business education. But what showed up was this very unorthodox opportunity. So I really went into the personal growth and development and the personal professional development space. And I started taking seminars and trainings and you know what I mean? And it was interesting because at the time my husband had like just started to discover Harv Ecker and his work around the millionaire mind and, and, you know, and all of these other guys, but they'd been around forever. Brian Tracy, Chet Holmes, Jay Abraham. And that was a whole other world Mm -hmm. and it was sort of entering through that portal and now I had done Tony Robbins way way back in the days you know with personal growth and and development cassettes I used to have those cassette tapes and you know unleash the power within yeah yeah (laughs) and I mean I used to wear that out so I had a history of some of that work but not in the context of the money and not in the context of business and so I kind of stumbled into that world truthfully through my husband. And then I was in rooms and, you know, again, the the information incredible, like I was getting the opportunity to really deal with my relationship with money and what did it mean for me to have money and resource. And, but I will tell you one or two in a room of 1200, (laughs) right. You know what I mean? Like it was a very, very different world. And I was so clear that we weren't getting access to this information. And when I say we weren't getting access to this information, I would say that the creative community, the activist community, the spiritual community, this is not necessarily the place where we were living. And I joke in the sense that I say that I kind of signed up for the poverty trifecta when I decided I was going to be an artist and an activist and a person of, you know, of spirit in terms of my work in the world. And I had to reconcile that, right? I had to reconcile that. And so where I will be forever grateful to those guys is that they really opened a whole new window in terms of mindset for me and, and really thinking about possibility and opportunity within the context of being well-supported and being well-sustained because those were not conversations we were having in any of the places that I was developing professionally and growing in terms of the heart and soul of my work. Where I challenged them 
And where they challenged me, quite frankly, was to be able to see myself inside of their narrative, to be able to extrapolate what they were teaching me into my reality as a creative, as a woman of color, as someone who wanted to impact and transform the world. That was the work that I had to do in order to have that work make sense for me, right? But I will tell you that when I began to apply the principles and concepts in my own context and in my own reality, I was able to triple my income in like eight months, right? So I was like, okay, there is something here. Right. And whether or not they saw me, Mike, right, or understood me or respected me or right, because in a lot of I had very interesting interactions. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Very inter interesting interactions in some of those rooms. But I also met some of the people who will be my people forever in some of those rooms. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it was an array of experience. Right. An array of experience. But I understood that the revolution lived in somehow my ability to be able to connect the dots between what I understood and what my parents had instilled in me in terms of the creative activist and change agent and what I was learning in the context of personal growth and transformation. And then somewhere in the middle, my spiritual upbringing being the glue that would kind of bridge those worlds together. Yeah. Mm. But they didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, but Mike, listen, and this, and I want to say this out. to you all listening. Everybody may not get it. In some cases, nobody may get it in the beginning. That's not your business. Mm. Your business is to be about what is tugging at you and what is calling you, even if it doesn't quote unquote make sense to other people, you know? And I had to learn that lesson like early. I had to learn that lesson early. I had to learn it on the activist side. I had to learn it on the artist side, right? Because I was also in hip hop and people like, Right. Because I said to you again, one of the first women to actually yep. and, and then marry hip hop and activism and, you know, shout out to all of the pioneers who figured out that social impact and hip hop culture had a profound opportunity to come together and raise a whole new generation of empowered young people. Mm -hmm. Because now you can't even teach youth empowerment and development without integrating some form of the arts. This is where our spoken word movement comes from. Spoken word this movement is a child of the hip hop and social change and social impact movement that moved through a lot of the after school programs and a lot of the community centers and environments in the late 70s, early 80s. Mm. You know, so a lot of people don't know that, you know, know that history either, right? But I had to learn that early and, and say, okay, they may not get it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't, it's not worthy of pursuing and worthy of investing in. Because I've been listening recently talking just about what you're surrounded yourself with, right? It's like privilege of me growing up in Indiana where I had a doctor who was a foot doctor on one side. My dad worked for BP and Amico. And then I had this other neighbor down the street that owned a company that basically retired at 40 because he sold it. So like, and I grew up seeing myself in all of these magazines, right? Seeing like people being owner. So I'm listening to a lot with like Meek Mill and everything that he's been through lately. And then Charlemagne the God talking about like, we have to own this and Jay-Z own this, you know, and own these things. And I'm just like, wow, like these are like 40 year old dudes, like talking about like, we need to own these things. And it's just like, and I was like, wow, this is so ingrained in my system yeah. already that yeah. like to take, to just know that that's possible. Yeah. Right? It's wild, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we come from, you know, if we start to now talk about people of color and particularly the African-American experience in this country, we come from a place of non-ownership. We come from a place of being owned. Right. <laughs> right. So what does it mean to really shift the paradigm in a way where you actually begin to embrace the potential of ownership in a whole new way, right? In a whole new way, you know, and it begins with your body, your mind, and your spirit. And that's for all of us, right? That's for all of us. Mm -hmm. And that's really for me what the book is about. Like, how do you become an owner of your own mind, body, spirit, economy, right? Contribution, mm -hmm. effort, impact, right? Because that's, in my mind, the only way we're going to get the world we really want to see. So I spent my early 20s in a lot of those same rooms and seminars you know I don't know exactly who you were studying with but like there was a group there and uh 
And, and so there are threads that I have recognized in some of the work that I've done with you and in your book and in other work, but then you bring in a whole piece that is, I have thought about myself certainly, but haven't ever read anywhere else. And so I just want to read a portion of your book and then we're going to talk about it. Okay. So this is on anybody who's uh, following along. This is on page 179. <laughs> so she says. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I think it's okay, great. We should have told Ra she has to, she's going to come on and read her book too. <laughs> oh, well, I just, I'm just going to read the quote that I highlighted. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Transforming the lie of scarcity is a game changer. Even so, the greatest myth we have to contend with in our global society is the disproportionate value we place on money. Because this tradition holds the biggest potential for derailing your purpose and challenging your liberation, perhaps more than any other. And then you go on later in this page, which I think is one of the most shocking and amazing sentences in the whole book, and you say, I'd like you to confront and then forgive any place where you may be economically benefiting from someone else's misfortune. And you continue later on, when it comes to money, much of our modern activism is spawned from guilt. And that in and of itself is a problem. So step one of the forgiveness ritual requires us to look unflinchingly at and tell the truth about how we participate in this, which is basically the piece about coming from a disempowered place and complaining, blaming, judging, justifying, and or avoiding around this conversation. And what role do you play? So this is a very big conversation. <laughs> I, and obviously I'm recommending everybody just read the book, The Calling, but for our conversation today, how do we hold at once our desire to create wealth, to create financial well-being, however we define wealth, that's going to look different for everybody. Yeah. Simultaneously with the fact that we have disproportionately put value on money over other people's lives and well-being. And that I think probably, and you absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, probably like most of us, no matter what our identity is, are benefiting from someone else's misfortune. Yeah. I'm sure we could come up with a few exceptions, but, and also most of us are also having somebody else benefit from our misfortune. Yeah. Some of us, right? Yeah. So like, how do we do both? How do you want to make money while also holding the truth that it can be really toxic and many of our systems are incredibly toxic? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing we need to understand is that money is not the problem. It is what we've built and constructed around money as a paradigm and as a theology in the context and the heart of what has been traditional capitalism, that is the problem. And the root of the root of that are distorted notions of power. That we actually believe that genuine power lives in dominance and violence and greed and exploitation. And until we get to the root of that conversation, and the fact that we've been conditioned to believe in and operate from a distorted notion of what it means to be powerful, that we have the opportunity to shift it and change it, right? So money became the pawn in the conversation. But the ultimate conversation is that anywhere that we actually believe that power is drawn from being quote unquote superior, <laughs> right, to other people, or that we believe that any portion of our humanity is dismissible or expendable. And it's interesting because when I say it like this, we all kind of go, oh my God, that's insanity, right? When we sort of explicitly straight ahead have the conversation, it's insanity. But when we think about how much we walk by people who are cleaning our hallways, right, or, or making up our beds in our room or serving us coffee in the morning and, and the disproportionate nature of the fact that those people may be brown or those people may come from a certain community or belong to a particular tribe or village. But this whole idea that we believe that any portion of our human family is expendable begins to give us the sense of the nature of just how deeply distorted 
this conversation is. And so it isn't about money, but it is rather about recognizing that at the root of our conditioning is a conversation that actually causes us to question our value and our worth as human beings, right? That is the thing that we've got to go to work on because we can pull and look, we already have, we can pull dollars out of the equation because now you can walk up with your phone, <laughs> but we haven't dealt with the primary fundamental conversation that says my humanity is more important than your humanity. And that that status, that ranking is a function of how much I can take, how much I can exploit, how much I can pillage how much I can draw from or extract from somebody else. The truth about money and any currency is that really at the core, it is an extension of the all providing source, which every single one of us has access to. So when I talk about the lie of scarcity, I'm saying to you that the conversation called there is not enough is a lie. Lynn Twist talks about this, and I quote Lynn in the book. She's one of the few authors you all notice. I quote because I believe that her book, The Soul of Money, was that groundbreaking mm -hmm. in terms of this whole idea that we operate from three lies, right, which are really the sort of core of our cultural wounding, right? This idea that there is not enough, this idea that more is better, and this idea that that's just the way it is, right? Lie, lie, lie again. But the heart of this idea that our currency comes from something that is finite and controlled by 1% of the population, like we all ought to be in arms about, y'all hear what I'm saying? We all ought to be in arms about this because it's not the truth. The truth is that currency as an extension of source is infinite. And it is about how we define it. It is about the energy and the intention that we bring to it. It is about our commitment to be of service in what it is that we bring and to participate in the sacred exchange, which is rooted in the law of reciprocity, the giving and receiving that is guided by source, which is the true definition of economy, right? You know, I remember sitting with an indigenous sister about four or five months ago, and we were talking about the definition of economy. And she said, you know, what economy really means is home. What economy really means is home. It means foundation. And it is about what we imbue and what we invest in the core of our foundation and the sense of the way that we want to build our ecosystems that is really about how we get to redefine economy as opposed to this thing that exists out there that will go up and down based upon quote unquote supply and demand, which are manufactured social constructs that we operate inside of and get conditioned to believe, oh, this is scarce. So that means I now need to give you $5 for a bottle of water that who knows, <laughs> somebody could have went down the street and ran tap water, got nice labels and beautiful plastic bottles <laughs> and, and they're selling, you don't know where that water comes from. <laughs> they're selling you. Do you feel what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And listen, you know, now if we want to get a hip hop reference in here, Mike, shout out to 50 Cent and Vitamin Water, right? Now 50, I know, 50, we got struggles. You know, my brother, look, we'll talk about it one day, maybe if we ever get face to face, but you are smart to understand that water was, you know, water was a very interesting business proposition, yeah. right? But I, you know, we, and I, and I want us to laugh about it, Kate, on some level, because if we can really get the ridiculousness of it, and find the levity as difficult and horrible and right confronting as it can be, then maybe we can access a little bit of capacity to start to change it, to start to take it back. It's like the guy that you've been dating for nine months, you finally wake up and realize, oh, he don't respect me, right? Or the girl you've been dating, right? For three years, you finally realize, you know what? I don't know that that's marriage material. <laughs> it's kind of like you get to take the hook out of your mouth and really start to get clear about what is it that you want to create 
as you think about your own economy, all economy is is resources. It is the production and the creation and the spending and the acquiring of resources. And if we can bring economy to that basic definition, then we have an opportunity to imbue it with something different, to define it and shape it in a way that creates more opportunity, more vitality, more vibrancy, and more life and sustainability for more of us. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. what do you mean, you mentioned this, like economy is home. So that kind of, I kind of stuck there and I got a little lost. So could, can you just yeah, could clarify a little bit? Yeah, so that, you know, if you think about ancient civilizations and, you know, and we can sort of, you know, argue at what point did feudalism take over, at what point did the Victorian era, you know, there were sort of these dynasties, right, right where mindsets and ideologies began to get shifted, you know, and a lot of that moved through, and I, I, here, here's where it gets hot, a lot of it moved through the church, Mm-hmm. A lot of it moves mm-hmm. through our spiritual context and our conversation, right? But if you look at civilizations that were really rooted in this idea of communal foundation and communal building, they had economies where every single person had a role to play. Every single person had a function that they brought that was rooted in whatever their ordained gifts were. And there were deep belief systems that economies were not whole unless everybody participated, whether we were, you know, whatever the currency was. Because money came out of uh, this whole idea that we needed a more, as our societies grew, that we needed a more, easy way to exchange. That was the whole, it was, you know, it was a medium of exchange, right? If you really start to talk about where the core definition of even coin came from, which preceded, right? Bill and dollar. This whole idea of mediums of exchange, but it used to be like, you know, I would trade my honey for your beef, or I would trade my skins, right? For your milk. And there was inbred in this idea and foundation of community, the ecosystem of economy where we were all able to have whatever we needed because we could call upon every facet of our community and the innate talents, gifts, skills, and abilities to be able to care for one another. So when she said home to me, that was immediately what I saw. That was immediately what I saw. And what existed at the foundation of those societies was this idea that you have a sacred relationship with the earth, you have a sacred relationship with each other, and that within the context of that sacred relationship, there is an exchange that fosters the well-being of all. And that that really is what, if we got to the heart of what economy could be, that that is what could be possible if we were willing to create a different foundation. Yeah. And so that's what I believe. You know, when she said that to me, that was the sort of the image that I saw, you know, and her commitment to restore that, yeah. to bring that back. So with restoring that and bringing that back, on a micro level in our personal lives, you know, starting today, starting tomorrow, what do we do? How do we start? Because, you know, when I came to you in June, I felt, <laughs> I was like having this postpartum hangover after Do Less came out. And I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm quitting everything. <laughs> I felt very lost, oddly. And you helped me to define this piece around mission and purpose that I never had thought was important before, quite frankly, which is so weird to even say that out loud. So what happens when, like, why is it so important that we do this work, the stay true, get paid, do good work? And how does that interact with this idea of economy as home where everyone gets their needs met? Yeah, it matters because if we have any desire for a different kind of world, this is the call to that. You know, in other words, if you look out your window and you're not loving what you see, 
This is the opportunity to do something about it and to do something about it that is rooted in your unique proposition and your unique offer to the planet. Like one of those things that those early civilizations understood was that everybody had a unique contribution to make, which is not what our industrial cog in a wheel society teaches us, right? Because that's not what benefits that 1%. Right. And, and truthfully, where we get to now is that half percent. Let's really talk about yeah. it. Right, because we we've kind of conflated the middle class. Like there's no there's no more middle class. It's like there's this, and then there's the rest of us, right? And our willingness to take back our own truth around the value that we the inherent value that we have as human beings, just by virtue of the fact that we draw breath, and then the power and the value of what it is that we have to contribute to the vitality of our respective communities and societies is the way that we begin to really invite and open up the door for our own truth. You know, and I think that we've been threatened with belonging, we've been threatened with economic sustainability and viability to cause us to get in line. Go work the job, go put on the necktie, tie the noose, right? Starch the shirt, throw on the jacket and go on in and conform. And it's interesting because I talk a little bit about this in the book that it's almost like the recession of 2008. You know, we've had moments, mm-hmm. 9-11, big wake up, right? Call for people around this idea of what's important, you know, and this is where the the hundred hour work week, quite frankly, started to die, Mm. right? You know, where you just neglected your family and you worked and worked and worked and worked. And I remember being in conversations with leaders in the financial industry who were going to 54 funerals coming off of world trade, who were saying, we're in a new normal. People are going home at three o'clock in the afternoon to have dinner with their kids. And maybe they'll hop on a conference call at nine or 10. So it's not like they won't get back on, but they're now, this time of the day is now important to them. There's a whole reorienting of our priorities. And I feel like we had the same moment in 2008 Hmm. when people who had given 50 years to a company or 30 years to a company were having their homes foreclosed on, right? And all of that disaster. And it was interesting in that in 2008, literally the rug that got ripped from underneath us was home. Literally. Mm. Right? People were like, wait a minute. I am a paycheck and a half from being out in the street. So as much as I want to say what you feel, like there was a leveling because very few people escaped that unscathed. You know, my husband and I, we were $300,000 in debt. Tell you now. Sleeping on the couch in our office. You know, like we had to build back. We all had to come back from that. And I believe that there was something in the reckoning of that where people went, I don't want to be at the mercy of economy anymore. And we actually began to see the birthing of different kinds of economies. This is where the share economy came from. This is what y'all hear what I'm saying. Airbnb saved a lot of people. Yeah. Saved a lot. Uber saved a lot. You know what I mean? And we can look, we we all know we've had challenges with certain cultures within some of these larger entities, right? Because unfortunately, like I said to y'all, unless we get to the root of the root, even with the best intentions, we will still build with the distorted ideologies if we don't go to work on them, right? However, you started to see this way in which, I mean, think about you had a generation graduate to no jobs. Millennials came out and was like, no jobs. <laughs> so people had to create it. And this was what then, you know, sort of the advent of technology, this, this sort of crumbling of the economy, this redeveloping, this rebuilding, combined with the sort of cultural landscape shifting, which also started to imbue new ways of working, new ways of thinking, new ways of operating. It was like the convergence of all of these things was what began to give us this place where now we, we're reinventing economy and culture in real time. And it's moving like this. And this whole rise of this new generation, a new breed of influencer, right? Where it's like, I don't need to go sign your oppressive record contract deal. (laughs) 
I'll just get on YouTube. <laughs> For as long as they're going to allow me bandwidth, because <laughs> y'all know that's coming next, right? But as long as they're going to have, I, can, I got bandwidth. Well, it's I'm, happening. That's what I was going to ask you, you know, building yeah. off that, it's like you have these people that have created, let's say, quote unquote, businesses on these social media platforms. And then they're taking their, it's, they change the algorithm. They do one thing and they, because it's getting more money, it goes back, you know, from the money they got to get the investors are going to go public. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because again, and, and we're going to have to keep taking it back and keep taking it back. And this is actually where the lesson of hip hop is a very powerful teacher because it is the one culture that they have not been able mm -hmm. to fully dominate and control because every time you try to manipulate or control it, it changes form, it shape shifts and it moves into something else. And so, you know, that like just even that culture as a study of how to build and construct and keep realigning around the truth of whatever is real for you in the context of economy, in the context of life, in the context of work, in the context of community is the power that you have when, when you understand what it is. And you, when you are able to think about who do I want to be in relationship to that? And that was why I wrote the book. Because I was like, people are watching what's going on. People are awake and aware enough to see in ways that, you know, again, your phone, you can pick up your phone and you're seeing things now that you, were ne you yeah. could never see 10 years ago, even. You'd never be on the news. You know, so you now have an unfiltered relationship, right? In essence, with the world. And you now get to see that there are different realities vastly different realities for people than what is potentially your reality. And as much as people now have this awakeness and this awareness and they're watching all these things move, there still is the fundamental question, what's my place in all of this? Mm. Where do I want to step in? How do I want to play? Do I want to play? In what way? And what can I offer? Because I believe for most of us at the center of the equation is this desire to contribute, is this desire to matter, is this desire to deliver something in a way that's going to make a difference. You know, I believe contribution is a human need. And I don't think we've ever talked about it before. We talked about the right to have, mm -hmm. but we haven't really talked about the right to contribute. And I think for many of us, we're interested in the right to contribute as ourselves, to contribute that which is ours to contribute on our terms and in a way that aligns with the truth and the power of our spirits. Wow. I know. I'll, uh, I'll keep going? Yeah, Okay. Sure. So <laughs> I, it's... Would you, what do you call, do you call your book a business book? Like how do you, I know the publisher is going to put it in one place, but what do you, yeah, that's a good question. That's one question I have. And then yeah, start there. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I feel like this book lies at the intersection of economy, culture, and spirit, right? Sort of framed in the context of personal growth and development. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. It's a personal roadmap for how to navigate the world. That's kind of like what, um, and, you know, and y'all will tell me how close or far I am from hitting the mark on that. But my goal was to come as close as I could to what I understood, having had the privilege to work on the front lines with people, you know, over three decades. You know, what was so remarkable about this book? So many things. <laughs> One of the things, though, is how complete yeah. it is. Like if someone took this book and went through it for six months to a year, I'm, they would I'm completely revolutionize everything. Like you gave it all. You didn't hold anything back. And yeah. having worked with you privately, I think that's really remarkable and such a testament to who you are and your belief system. Because I hear from a lot of folks in the entrepreneurial space well, how much do I give away because I'm afraid if I put too much in my, well, obviously you're not giving it away. People are buying the book, but they could totally get it at the library, right? So people can get this info for free. Yeah. So how does that fit into your framework and your belief system around generosity and abundance and, the, and that there's not scarcity? And how do you feel about basically, you know, today, 
it's all out there. So, right? For me, it was the intention was to create the blueprint. Yeah. It was like, if you don't ever talk to me, you don't ever see me, you don't ever buy a thing from me, get this. And quite frankly, if you got to go to the library, get it. And part of it for me is that I'm driven by something different. You know, money is important. You know, I've had my own journey to understand it and become empowered around it. I share a little bit about it on top of this conversation, right? But there's so much more to say. But at the beginning and middle and the end of the day, that's not what motivates me. I'm interested in changing the game. I'm interested in more people having access to their brilliance, to their magnificence. And I'm interested in your brilliance and your magnificence because whatever you're going to create, then I get to benefit from when you put it out in the world. Mm. So I want you to bring it. I actually need you to bring it. And I actually believe that for me, I held nothing back because I understand that the well is infinite. If I really am tapped into source, source going to give me what the next thing is. And she did. <laughs> Yeah, I have no doubt. I can't wait to read the next one. Do you know what I'm saying? So I'm I'm already working on the next thing. Another book? Well, of course there will be. Listen, I'm I'm already already working on the next thing. But I will say to you that I think to your point, in the context of scarcity, we're always told to hold something back. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I love you too much to hold anything back. In any conversation, in any interaction, my love is too great. So whatever, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, bring it, let's bring it. You bring it, I bring it, let's bring it. And then let's see what we get in the world as a result. How did you learn to deliver that with love, right? Because like the directness of it, right? Like, so, and maybe you've always been this way or there's been anger that's kind of shifted into this direction that you are now. And I'm asking this really for myself because that's like, <laughs> like I, I very, like it really hurts to watch people live below. And for my, I speak for myself, right? To live below what they actually put. When you see the goodness and what people are doing and then to work with people or have friends or whatever, and they just continually keep themselves small. It, I'm yeah. totally speaking to myself right now, but like, how do you deliver that message coming from the place of, or has it always been able to come from love for you? Cause I feel like when I'm reading your book and watching your material around it, it's like, okay, her main is like delivering love. Like she's coming from a place of love and like get your ass in gear, you know, but also I'm coming with love. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like take it to you, but then also here it is. So that's an art and a skill, right? That's like, and how did that happen for you? I think it has been cultivated over time. I think, it, you know, I feel like there is a part of me that has always been about love in terms of just from a young age. I think that there's something that I just came in with. But I also will say to you that my ability to meet people with great compassion has come from being in different parts of the world and having had the experiences that I've had as an artist, that I've had as an activist and that I've had as an entrepreneur. And to know that fear is real for people and conditioning is real for people. And I think sometimes it can be very easy to say to somebody, get your act together, get your game together. When you haven't walked in their shoes and you don't really know what they're surviving One of the things that I do in the book, as y'all know, is I speak a lot to the context of trauma, individual and collective and economic. Like I talk about work trauma, economic trauma, because so many of us have been traumatized and we don't even know it. So it's not a matter of your willpower, right? Because we think you can grind it out or you can grind your way through it or grit your way through it, but you don't know what's been operating and the way in which early formative experiences have actually wired your brain, your neurological system, your nervous system. So until we can create spaces that bring rigor with the same level of compassion, sometimes it's hard for people to step in. And that was one of the things that I think, you know, Mike, I had to, I had to learn, particularly over the last 10 years of my work is I was like, how do you make it safe enough for people to even begin to look? Because mm. if people aren't willing to look, nothing is possible. You can't see it. You can't affect it. You can't touch it. So you know what I mean? And so yes. 
creating space for people to actually be willing to slow down and look is the beginning of the Got revolution. It. Doesn't, doesn't like, end there. Just but be it begins, quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is it painful to watch? For sure. For sure. One of the most painful things to watch is somebody operate below their potential. But again, you know, everybody's journey inside of that is different. And if we, as those who teach and those who hold space for people, so I'm speaking to every coach now, every trainer, every teacher, whatever you're teaching, whatever you're offering, whatever you're bringing, if you can make it safe enough for people to lean in, that that's the beginning. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'll, 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 I'll. You got more? Well, I was going to. Uh, okay, go ahead. No, I was going to bring I, it. I love you all. You I have just to... have to say this. I love you all. I love, I love being in your energy and your spirit and watching you all. <laughs> I'm so I'm, I'm quite teary, so I'm like, I'm not sure what else to say. I was going to bring it home, but do you have one more yeah. question? <laughs> well, I mean, kind of, I asked you the question about how you categorize this book, and I mean, just to to answer kind of what you're, you know, you asked us, like, do we view it that way? I do. I view it as cause I went to MBA school, right? Like at Wake Forest down in North Carolina. And I didn't really value that time. You know, I just like got through it cause people told me to go get a degree. So, but just like, I have read a lot of books in the last four years. This is what like the stories that you tell and then how you tie it in together. And then you're like, Oh yeah, it's your turn, you know? And so I haven't done any of the exercises. I've I'm almost done reading the book, but I'm definitely, I've marked all the things and I'm going to go back and do the exercises afterwards. But I don't know if I need to read another business book the rest of my life. Seriously. Like, and I said this to our friend the other day and she said, that's the book I want to read. <laughs> Send it over. And I was like, but like, I, it's so crazy to be like, Oh, I don't need to read anything else about business. You know, of course I'm reading, you know, experiences and people's memoirs and all that stuff. Yeah. But like, I don't think I'm going to buy another business book the rest of my life because <laughs> I can go through this every single year and the say, answer the same questions over the year. I'm going to get different answers as it goes through it. Yeah. I cannot highly recommend this book to like everyone like we'll just buy a bulk and give it away to people yeah. that leave a review or whatever you no, know it's it really like, is. like if you're gonna read yeah. one book yeah this would be the one because it deals with pra no it's not about like how to run facebook ads right there's no practice right. you know, no. <laughs> it's like, it's you, gotta, like, you gotta go to your marketing gurus for that yeah <laughs> right. yeah so it's the in-depth because this is like i don't know since i started reading this is impacting me in a way that i wasn't expecting truthfully and I knew, like, I met, I didn't meet you. It's I didn't. It's kind of you. breaking shit down. Just, it is, to be honest. Rob, yeah, which I know you know, but just so you know. <laughs> but it's In a breaking, good way. it's breaking up to rebuild it. So yeah, and I think it's a good place to be. But I know I saw you speak. It was like Gabby or Daniel Laporte's book launch or some event you did in New York City, like five, six, seven years ago. And when Kate and I were there, and I was just like, I don't know who this woman is, but she's a special person. So, because you were doing poetic, you're, what's it? What's it called? What do you spoken do? word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah spoken poetry. Word. <laughs> yeah, you're doing poetry. But there's a name. Yeah, you're doing spoken word. It's it's uh, rapping, but for just speaking. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to describe it. Yes, that is what it is. Yeah. Um, but it. I was like, who is this woman? I'm like, and her name's Rock. God. What? Like, what is happening here? So, but, and then Kate, you spoke on a panel with Kate and like, she came home recently at Harvard and she came home. And she's like, I think we're going to, I'm like, yeah, I'll, whatever, just do it. Because it was like, you stuck into my head from that moment. And then with the, reading this book and I'm carrying it around and I'm just like, holy smokes. Cause it does, it breaks, you'd start diving into it's the way like Brene Brown has this theory about when marriages partnerships are together is like when you have a really good marriage, you know, the woman has done work, the work that she needs to do. And you know, the man has done the, the work that he needs to do. And you did the work to get to this place to like to produce the calling. And it's like, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so profound. So everybody on here buy the book, like I have to do in. Yeah. So you can close it out, Kate. All right. Well, Ra. So thank you. On that Either. call to action, they need to go to movethecrowd.me forward slash the calling. You can get the book there or obviously on Amazon. Also at your local bookseller. I always want to give a shout out. Yes. Like, yeah. Go down Our the Mama street. And Papa's, please. To the bookstore. 
yes. and get the book because that'll help them. It also helps raw. Everybody wins. Okay. My final question is, what is your desire as this book takes flight today on pub day? Of yeah. course, we're projecting into the future in a couple yeah. weeks. <laughs> but when it's, it's live, it's, it's just that it finds you. And if you're listening to this, I'm talking to you, that it finds you. If you know you're here to be more, you know you're here to do more, you know you're here to have more, and you've been searching and seeking and grappling and struggling, you know, or if you're on fire and you're just like, yo, I just need to put it all together. I just need a way to put it all yeah. together. Yes. I got all the pieces. You know, my prayer and my hope is that this book finds you, you know, and that you feel my love as you walk mm -hmm. through. And so it is. I love you, Ra. Thank you. I love you all. Thank you all so much. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> You're savvy enough to know that if you make optimal use of your precious time and energy, achieving your business dreams in 2020 will be inevitable. I am creating a brand new course called Make Time for Business, Do the Things that Make Money So You Can Do Less, and you can get it absolutely free for a limited time. So head over to Make timeforbusiness.com. Again, that's maketimeforbusiness.com and get yourself on the wait list so you can be the first to know when this course becomes available for free. See you there.